Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Coffee Time with Biswas. Huge shout out to Anil for the new beat, the Afro Trap. It sounds so good and I'm so excited to use it. And it will be on the rest of the episodes of season two. All right, so I have my coffee here. It's piping hot. It's ready to go. I hope you have your coffee and we're ready to get right into it. Now, today is getting a little bit personal, and I I guess I've been personal before, so you already know right off the bat, I'm going to be a little bit awkward, and it's just a forewarning about that, and um, this episode, I'm not necessarily going to go into, like, the history of anxiety and um, talking too much about, like, the definitions and types. I'm not going to go too much into that. Um, However, I'm just going to go and express more so my relationship with anxiety. I am going to start off with a definition just so we all have an entrance point, a point that we're entering together on and um, we're at the same on the same page with. And uh, from there on, I'm going to go with my experiences rather than, um, I guess, a more holistic treatment, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to go into that. Uh, maybe if you guys are interested, I might do another episode of that. But at the same time, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to give out medical advice. Some things work for me, might not work for others. So yeah, you know what? Scrap that. We're not going to go into medical advice here. But um, just my experiences. All right, so I'll be defining generalized anxiety disorder through the DSM 5th edition. Now the DSM 5 is, is how uh, we interpret, we assess, and we diagnose mental health. And um, this is the definition provided by the DSM-5. And whether you go on a CAMH site or you go um, on a Government Canada site, all of these definitions are understood through the DSM. Now, so generalized anxiety disorder is characterized by an exaggerated or an excessive worry about daily life activities or events with no apparent reason to worry. People with GAD, so generalized anxiety disorder, tend to expect disaster and can't stop worrying about their um, whatever it is at that, as, at that present moment that they're worrying about. So the worry does not match reality and it is considered way out of proportion or any, for any given situation. Now some symptoms could be persistent worrying um, about an, in a number of areas, overthinking plans and solutions to all possible worst case scenarios, Perceiving situations and events as threatening, even when they aren't. Difficulty handling uncertainty. Indecisiveness and fear of making the wrong decision. Inability to set aside or let go of worry. Inability to relax, feeling restless and feeling keyed up on edge. Difficulty concentrating on the feeling that your mind is just going blank. Some physical symptoms of uh, generalized anxiety is fatigue, so you're constantly feeling Uh, like drained out, tired, trouble sleeping, muscle tension or muscle aches, trembling, feeling like twitchy, uh, nervousness or constantly feeling like you're on edge or you're easily startled, sweating, nausea, um, it could cause irritable bowel syndromes and just general, uh, in general, irritability. Um, I'm not going to go too much into the causes. We do know that there are biological causes and, uh, other ones as well (laughs) but um, I'm not gonna go too much into that Um, but that is just the basis of generalized anxiety there are other forms and types of anxiety as well Um, some people 
might experience those ones such as social anxiety however this is the generalized anxiety and this is the one that i have a relationship with (laughs) and it's funny because i'm single in every other term but thank you anxiety because i have a relationship with you and uh it's been one i've had for quite some time i feel like a lot of people have gone through anxiety in in terms of like let's say you have a big test or a presentation coming you can feel anxious towards that but the difference here is is these symptoms are persistent for um months and months and it's not just one event or two event like these are constant things another thing that's paired with anxiety is panic attacks now growing up i had a lot of panic attacks uh actually maybe saying a lot was a little bit excessive but I would definitely have them and and with panic attacks I would feel the physical symptoms so I would feel uh pain in in my stomach like a stomach cramp almost like today I would I would compare that to like a menstrual cramp but I would I would get these pains like as early as like grade two grade four whatever and I remember calling my mom from the office and like she would know that something's up um but I didn't necessarily understand it as that i just know that whenever something happened i would get this panic attack and i would feel physical pain as though um i was sick or something so i would just call home and um and again and i don't think it was that often where it could have been a problem at that time um but it was just something that i was used to However, something that I always did is like now that I think back and I'm reflecting is that I was always an overthinker. Um, no matter what I did, like every step I made, I would think about like 10 things. Like I would think about worst case scenario, I think of the best case scenario, I think about, okay, what am I going to do to get there? So like, for example, it could be as simple as, um, I don't know, we're picking partners for a group project and it would just be like, well, what if I work with this group? What if I work with that group? Um, what happens if this person doesn't pull their weight? And and this is like, come on, Misha, like this is like grade four. Who gives an F if your group project does not work out? But everything felt intensified and it felt like it needed to. And it could be as simple as going to the bathroom, but then being nervous that I'm going to miss out on something. I wasn't the smartest tool in the box. So I was, you know, for me, like I needed to be present in order to understand what was going on. I can't just fill in the blanks. Um, that's just the type of learner I am at the time. Um, so I would be nervous to go to the bathroom and it'd be like, well, I don't want my teacher to think I'm going to the bathroom to fool around or I'm going to the bathroom to avoid something. Whereas like I'm going to the bathroom because I need to use it. <laughs> and I would feel guilty about that. And then that would eat away with me. And it could be as simple as like going back to class and the teacher not making eye contact with me or making eye contact with me and then me thinking oh is this teacher making eye contact with me because i'm in trouble because they look down on me or so on and so forth and all these things and thoughts they're unhealthy but these are thoughts that i would regularly have so to be honest i didn't know that it was abnormal i just thought those were normal and at the same token it actually at that point in my life it was just normal for me that it didn't really take over my life. I would not say that it it made me like incapable of daily life. Like I was able to go through days and and be okay. Um, and honestly, like I just thought that was normal. I thought the self-talk of overthinking, I just thought all of that was a part of, you know, a part of who we are. And later on in life that I realized that, okay, like no girl like that, that shit was excessive. I continued to have panic attacks here and there. Um, the overthinking never 
was never not a part of my life. Like I said, it was just there. Um, it never really took away from me living my daily life. So like I just experienced that up until, you know, university and I just never really thought otherwise of it. Um, and, and of course, just like other others who feel stress at certain given points, like, yes, I felt extreme stress when applying for university, for example, because, yeah, a lot of your life is relying on that. But then there was also times when I'm thinking about things that, let's say, stress someone out five years down the line and not currently at that moment that I should not be worrying about. So, for example, like, I remember being in, like, first year uni and, like, simple things I'd worry about paying back my student loans. I'd worry about um, being able to buy a house. I'd worried about being able to, to financially, you know, provide for my kids. I didn't even have kids at this point I didn't even have a friggin relationship at this point to be worrying about that so like things like that I would just constantly worry and it would almost just you know it wouldn't make me ill ill but like yeah like it it was a lot and it was on my mind and I think like what things that we don't talk about is how this can also affect your friendships the the constant overthinking or the constant feeling that um you know I'm on edge so like it could be simple as like going out to dinner you know we're all on res and we're going out to dinner but someone is just having another conversation with a friend and here I am thinking oh oh shit like did I do something wrong did I did I say something wrong did I not say hi properly um are they avoiding me you know like all these things it can be straining on a friendship because you're needing like constant um reassurance and not that like not that how can i explain this like is it selfish of the other person not to give you reassurance no like you shouldn't have to give constant reassurance but it is draining because sometimes when you have anxiety you feel like you need that uh not just from your friendships but from all relationships around you from like parental relationships, from siblings, from maybe romantic relationships, you need a sense of reassurance to know that you're okay, you didn't do anything wrong. And and that can be definitely draining, not just for the person with anxiety, but for the person on the other side of it. And that's something I did not understand until recent days. And you know what, a lot of people do tend to overthink, but we have to remember about the excessiveness of it and uh, how often it is occurring. But anyways, I first year to fourth year, again, it just felt like this was like my everyday life. So I was already going through that and I did not uh, think anything otherwise. And it's funny because you really learn about mental health and, um, you know, like just strategies and, and being in concurrent education. I learned a lot of that pertaining to children. So I learned how to be there for my students. I learned how to identify um, and help with strategies for my students. But it's so funny that I didn't take that information and apply it to myself. Like, at times when I remember when, when learning about this stuff, I was just like, shoot, like, maybe, like, that is similar to what I'm going through. But I just never, like, took the time to, like, stop and, like, really analyze it. Um, because, again, like, we're just thinking of everything pertaining to uh, hypothetical scenarios with students. So I just did not internalize any of that. Um, anyways, moving on, grade, grade five, <laughs> moving on to, to year five. So that was my teacher's college year. Um, so in teacher's college year at Brock, we do, so you have like 
your observational days, and then you have your placement. I think it ran about the first placement was maybe about a month or so because you would have once a week and then a month or so. I sorry, I don't quite remember like complete fact, but anyways, the first placement. Uh, my associate teacher was awesome. Like I've learned so much from her. Uh, we have we had a great relationship, and um, we had a very open relationship too. And she was just so helpful in so many ways. And I just remember it, it had it I had absolutely nothing to do with her, but I just experienced anxiety to a point where I could not handle it, and, and that's when it became uncomfortable grounds because this is something now where I was not able to to get a hold over, whereas in the past, I was. And it's funny because I'm not nervous about speaking, you know, let's say a presentation in front of a group of people. I'm not nervous about teaching younger students. I'm not nervous about teaching adults or teens. But it's just at that time I experienced so much of it. And much of it because I'm thinking, well, okay, this person is trusting me with their students, number one. Their students are giving me a level of trust. You know, like, not only are you behavior managing, I have to make sure that they've learned something from me, like, at least something. (laughs) I'm teaching a unit. Come on, like, they have to learn something from me. And then I also have to think, you know, this associate teacher, more or less, can say whether or not I can be a great teacher and and give me an evaluation for that. And, And that... I think that is what made me nervous because I'm like, this is something I wanted to do my entire life that can literally be just taken right from me if this person thinks I'm not suitable as a classroom teacher. And is that necessarily the case? No, because there's so many things that um, that like do that, right? But at the time, like honestly, in person, like you probably couldn't have, like you couldn't tell. And I remember she would always tell me that I just look so confident when I'm teaching and, um, you know, the kids love me. I'm always happy, this, that, and the other. And it's true. Like, when I'm in the classroom, I feel my most confident. But it's the thought. It's the overthinking, the excessive worry that happens afterwards. So when I would go home from my placement, I would constantly worry. And I'd be like, okay, well, let's say a little situation happened with student A and B, and I solved the situation in a particular way. I would think, well... You know, like, is student A still feeling confident about themselves? Are they still feeling okay? Are they upset that I do enough in this situation? Did student C and D understand that math question? Did I do enough to break it down and and show it to them where they can apply this to another way of thinking? Now, I would just constantly have those thoughts, or then I would think, ooh, did I say the word um a lot? Or, ooh, did I... Did I like really think about critical thinking when I was teaching? So like different things like that, which, you know, I'm sure other teachers think about too, but it was just something that I did not need to worry about because I had to worry about getting the next lesson out. But that was something that, that like crippled, crippled, crippled my thoughts. You know, it got to a point where I would come home from my placement and I would honestly feel like I cannot breathe because my whole drive, I'm thinking about all these things. And it just, it, I don't know, it just got so toxic. I felt like the only way to make myself feel like I could breathe was to throw up. And, and that just sounds so messed up. I know, I understand. But that was the only sense of relief I would get afterwards. I would come home from my placement. Um, I'd feel super nauseous and I would just make myself throw up. 
and then after that I felt like I could breathe I felt like I could continue I needed like let's say half an hour of just downtime and uh, then I was good to go it was like a, a new person you know just already just boom 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 but it was dangerous that's that's not healthy that's not normal and that was something that I would do every single day after placement and then it got to a point where you know I just I couldn't and I remember like feeling like absolutely crippled that I just could not I could not and at this time I didn't want to inform um, my mom I didn't really want to inform anyone that I was feeling this way because I didn't want people to think I was incompetent of being in my field because again like that was my dream and at the same time my mom was two hours away and, and truthfully there was nothing in that situation that she could have really done to make me not feel like that so I didn't want her to worry um, because she's so far away and I know her she would want to drive up and, and and do something but realistically at that time there was nothing to do I remember feeling so much that way that I called in sick for uh, a day and then um, I don't know I just I was not feeling it and then I thought I would be okay like one day mental health day whatever I took it and then I thought I'd be fine and then the next day I'm like no I can't I just can't so I'm like okay so teachers college like I'm gonna need a doctor's note um whatever I can't go on another day and it was just I was literally then I was stressed about well shit like what kind of an impression am I giving off but it was just honestly had I gone in it wouldn't have been good it wouldn't have been good for anyone around me um and then I remember calling my mom saying like, okay, like I'm going to come home and visit this weekend. Um, it was, I think it was like, a, yeah, it was like a Friday. I was going to come home and visit this weekend. And then I'm like, shit, like if I leave right now, I'm not going to get any traffic, none at all. But because I had to, you know, like not make it suspicious, your girl had to wait till like 3.35 when that school was off. And then I took off from there to go home experiencing all the traffic but anyways i had to i had to really play into that into that and then i remember going home and i don't remember if it was like that very day that i spoke to my mom but anyways it was one of those days and i called her to my room and it's funny because i did this throughout university but like i would just like hysterically cry like literally like just hysterically cry like it was morbid and it was just to a point where this time I was just like I can't do it anymore like I don't know what to do I don't know how to handle this anymore and it, it's beyond me at this point like I just cannot deal with this anymore it was tough and um I think for my mom it was tough for her to see because I think for your kids you want them to be okay you want them to manage you want them um especially when you know that they're so far away and and they're in school you don't want them to feel a certain way you want them to feel okay to going back and um anyways she really encouraged me to see a doctor and again like those things were really nerve-wracking for me because i'm like i should have it together there's no reason i shouldn't and um she encouraged me to do that and i couldn't do that like that weekend whatever i came back another weekend i went to the doctor and again, I remember feeling so awkward at the doctor's office. And uh, my doctors know me all my life. But um, just like going on and talking to him about what was going on, like I just remember feeling so awkward. And then I just cried. And he was just like, okay, okay, Misha, like that's enough. <laughs> and we just talked and, and he put me on medication. That was really scary for me because I, 
did not like medication. Um, I was on medication earlier in life for ADHD, and it got to a point where I was just like throwing that shit down the drain because like it just made me uncomfortable. And it worked. It, it did work that previous medication I took, and this medication it took me a while. So we started off real low, and we started off with just one pill. And and even that, the amount of relief that it, you know, it created, I was just like, holy moly! It, I mean, and of course it it's time, right? Like, it's not like it's going to kick in right there and then. It does take, like, a week or two to, to, to really get in, into it and um, for it to have an effect on you. But anyways, once I felt that effect, I'm like, holy moly, is this what life is supposed to feel like? Like, this is what it's supposed to feel like? And I was experiencing some next level, next excessive type worry, and this is what it's supposed to be like? Well, damn, I'm here for it. And I remember feeling that and I was just like, holy crap, like, I can't believe like this is what it's supposed to be. And anyways, like that worked out very well. And we eventually. Um, uh, and, and I just want to really say that, like, it, it's not going to subtract all your symptoms. It's not going to take away your panic attacks. It's not going to necessarily take away that, but it's going to lessen them. So it becomes to a point where it is more manageable and. Um, just like a lot of people recommend, and my doctor did as well, he said that, you know, one route of, of healing is not necessarily the only route to healing. And he was just like, it is effective if you do a holistic approach. So like, let's say you're on medication, let's say you do therapy. And at that point in time, my main focus was to graduate. My mo main focus was to get through my fifth year. I didn't necessarily want to do all of that. And nor did I have time to. I wasn't comfortable with seeing someone at Brock. And it would have been like, not feasible to come home every weekend and do that um you know in pickering so at that time like i just anything else other than the medication just was not possible in my given situation and uh anyways like the medication did help for that um just that year you know the year finished off strong unfortunately i lost my grandma that year and uh a lot happened with that and then i had my placement anyways i graduated and that was great but then i had when I moved home, it was my first time moving home. And whereas like my family had already gone through that kind of living without my grandma per se, I had to then go through that, that stage as well. And I was nervous for that. Um, but then again, like the whole idea of like, you're leaving behind an era of your life, like the whole university life, it's just a chapter that is completely closed. So even that was a hard transition for myself. And for many other, of my peers as well that's not something isolated to anxiety like that is just a difficult transition um that everyone goes through i feel and it's just like a transition of leaving high school for example just when one chapter closes the transition of moving on can sometimes be a lot and it's an emotional transition as well and uh i remember experiencing that and at that time we had people staying at my house uh shukul and dada and his entourage were staying at our house and and honestly, that was such uh, a savior for me because it kept me busy. Uh, I actually made really good friends with Sharnavada and, you know, just things like that was so helpful for me that I really enjoyed them there because it kind of filled the void and uh, just constantly keeping busy. It felt like we had like a lot of family. And then it was when they left. It was when they actually had to go back to India is when it was just really difficult for me because it just felt like I was losing everything and I wasn't obviously obviously that's an excessive thought 
but it would go to a point where like I would literally sit in a room of darkness all day and like again that is not healthy and um so for those of you who don't know my mom's a social worker so she does have access to a lot of resources and um she's also very like I don't know how to say this like she's tech savvy so like she knows what's going on in the world today and uh she's you know she did her research and she was just like look this is another option you can do this and uh she gave me life care centers uh the information for that and at the time i was so opposed to it i'm like are you are you nuts like i'm not gonna go talk to someone like i'm not crazy i don't need to go speak to someone and to be honest like i was just so against therapy i didn't understand it for what it was um it just seemed like i'm like yo like if you want to go to therapy like i 100 percent support you go do your thing but i didn't want me to be the person that needed to go to therapy and uh lo and behold uh, luckily enough i was still on my mom's coverage so financially i was able to do that and um i did go and it was the most nerve-wracking thing in my life but it helped me in so many ways to heal that i did not even know i needed to heal from like it was insane i think what helped me too was um my therapist was like somewhat younger okay that's rude um, i guess she was like in her, like her early 30s so i don't know it just felt like she would have gone through similar things at similar time periods as me and um at first like i remember like i didn't even tell her what i went to school for or anything like that because i was just like i don't want her to think i'm incompetent within my profession and and that was a constant fear i was constantly fearing the fact that people would think i am not capable enough to be a teacher because i am battling mental health and that was a big thing that i was nervous for i didn't want to not get a job because of that so i would i did not want to speak about my profession but anyways, uh, that really helped me to have that one unbiased person to talk to. And then great things happened. Um, that was, I think that was August. And then September, I accepted a, a full year LTO, grade one, two. And I loved my life. I loved every aspect of my life. I was finally in my calling, doing what I needed to do. But there was always something. And yes, I was still on medication. But, you know, like, you know, as teachers, you don't just teach all day or get to know your students go home and stop thinking about them you're constantly thinking about what they're going through you're constantly thinking about um you know like how they're feeling you're thinking about did they feel positive leaving school today did i do what i needed to do to make them feel positive um to make them feel like they can conquer and, and so on and so forth and and you think about them you don't stop thinking about them and i think parents can say this about their own children that they don't stop thinking about their kids but i think it's also something that teachers go through and, and maybe once you know you're more experienced you can kind of on and off switch with that because you have your own family to think about as well but this is something that i that's all i thought about and that was something that i discussed with my therapist as well and that's when she did know i was a teacher and she actually said you know it's surprising, but I see a lot of teachers. And it's because teachers in their workplace, they see a lot of trauma. Uh, we see children coming from various backgrounds and, and we want to be that the person to be there for them. But in order to be there for them, we have to be there for, their, for ourselves. And if we're not there for ourselves, we cannot be there for our children. And you can, but you're gonna be drained out and then you're not going to be able to be there effectively so and that was the point i was just like holy crap so you see other teachers and like that felt like a sense of relief because it was 
that stigma aspect of it kind of got out of my mind because I was so nervous that I would be a not great teacher because of that. And she said, actually, what would make you a not good teacher is that you're not helping yourself and you're being careless towards yourself and you're thinking that you can go, go, go and, and be almighty for your students. But if you don't take care of yourself, there's no way that you could do that. And it's not to the point that I would like shout out to the world saying like, I have anxiety. Like, no, we were not there. But um, I felt like, I honestly felt a sense of relief. I'm like, okay, maybe like, maybe it's not like just, just so out of the blue that other people are seeing them. She's like, you'd be surprised. We see teachers, we see social workers, we see co-ops. And these are professions that see a lot of trauma and it is a lot. So it's important to have that person to discuss it with. Um, my therapist was awesome. Just having a non-biased person whose opinion, like, not necessarily opinion, but, like, just something, like, I don't feel like I'm offending that person if I say something. Like, that was very beneficial for me. And I remember her saying, like, what is it that you want from this? Do you want a bunch of strategies? Do you want stuff that you can work on at home? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want homework. I don't got time for homework. I want to talk about these things, deal with strategies within session, and then strategies that I feel are helpful towards me, maybe I'll translate that into my day-to-day life. And one thing that extremely helped me is that, let's say, like, I had an isolated scenario that I was just not, I felt crippling towards. She would say, okay, so you like to be practical about things. And, and that's my personality. I like practical things. So she would say to list the, like, let's say list all the things that you think could possibly go wrong with this situation. And then she said to list positive aspects of that situation. And then we would go through each one of those negative thoughts that I wrote down. And she would say, doesn't that sound a little bit ridiculous? Doesn't that sound a little bit over the top? And I'd be like, well, yeah, it does. And then it would be like, okay, well, like, is that realistic though? Like, would that actually happen? And then, yes, of course, there would be like three or four negative things that could potentially be the worst case scenario. But then I would look at the positive side and then we would do like, okay, but this could also outweigh that. And, and for me, like that felt practical. That felt like something I could do. And I like to me, like for me to understand something, I need to have it written down for me to read back because that's when it feels real. Like just talking about it um, all the time or like things, it doesn't help me uh, like retain that information. So for me, I need it written down. So that was a strategy that really helped me. And again, like there's multiple strategies. Um, I know she listed off an app for me, which was not my thing. Like it just, it did not help me. So like there's strategies that work, strategies that don't. It's all about your personal, what you can personally handle. Now, unfortunately, my therapist went on mat leave in that uh, January-ish. And I just, I was, she recommended recommended other therapists to me I just at that point I felt like we worked through so much and we got so personal and uh, it took me a while to even get to that point it's not like I went there for like a few weeks and got right there I was seeing her once a week um, for many months and like I just was not ready to open up to someone else at that point so I did not continue therapy and um, and again luckily I had coverage through my work so like I know financially not everyone has um, that privilege of having coverage through their work so i think it's also important there there are free services caria is a great great resource they're both in pickering and um in oshawa so i will definitely link that there very great uh healthcare professionals there and there are other free options as well i know now with the coronavirus and even just in general a lot of uh therapists offer 
online ver- uh, sessions, um, which can be helpful for some people as well. So I think just really exploring your options there is important to understand what's out there for you. Um, and if therapy is your thing, again, remember, don't forget, I was super skeptical. And like, honestly, I'm not going to lie. They have free coffee and water. Not that I don't have access to coffee and water. Like, I 100% do. And, like, I would drink coffee and water during the day. Oh, they actually also had French vanilla and hot chocolate. Anyways, I remember being excited, just going to the office for that. And then, like, sometimes, I'm not going to lie, your girl would actually lie down on the couch because it just felt legit and it felt like, I don't know, it just felt cool. So I lie down on the couch. And it's also draining because you're talking about so many things. So, like, lying down because you're already tired from your day. <laughs> just things I did. I was just like, shoot, I kind of like this. And uh, I remember, too, like, my mom, um, she would then ask me, like, what I talked about in therapy. And at first, I'm like, no. Like, no. It took me so long to talk about it. In therapy, I cannot talk about it. And I think she felt like, maybe she felt like I wasn't being open to her or, um, like, she would want to know so she could help me. But it wasn't that. I just, it's so draining to talk about it. And when I'm ready, I'll talk about it. And I think my mom ended up realizing that. So she would stop asking me. Um, but she would be there for me in other ways. Like, for example, like if I had a panic attack, because again, like I said, it's not going to uh, completely subtract those feelings. You could still have panic attacks. But when I would have a panic attack, instead of asking me what's wrong, my mom would recognize that I'm at a point where I cannot talk, that she would bring me cold cloths. And that is a huge way of being supportive because at that point in time, I'm not going to get up and and wet a cloth by myself. (laughs) Like It just wasn't feasible. So she would bring me a cold cloth and that was a way of her showing that she was there. And then she would just sit with me and like not talk. So like she would just sit there and, and just be there. And that was a huge thing for me because I'm not always ready and open to talk. It takes a lot for me to do that. So when I was ready, I did feel comfortable to talk to my mom and, and that's fine. But I think the people in your life that are around there have to also realize that it's not something that's instantaneous. It takes time. And I'm sure that was a challenge. And I'm sure um, it's hard for the other person as well. But it's a huge way that you can show support in a variety of ways rather than just talking about it. And honestly, like, I'm going to have anxiety for the rest of my life. It's not something that's just going to go away. Uh, I'm on medication Do I want to be on medication for the rest of my life? Not necessarily. Like, I'm learning on ways to to deal with my anxiety, and it's definitely immensely gotten better. Um, The panic attacks that I do experience now, if I was to write down the... In fact, I probably should, but if I were to write down the date and time of how often they occur, they're not that often as what I was experienced before. So it's improved immensely. Um, my doctor also made me go see a psychiatrist to make sure that the dosage and, and all of that was okay. Um, I'm gonna have to get back on that like after this whole COVID thing. But um, I just think it's important that you, you have your support system. So that could be your parents, your friends, you have your doctor on your side, so your family doctor, and then they'll probably refer you to a psychiatrist, whoever you see that, that, that they all know what's going on. And then if you have um, a therapist, like just a whole well-rounded approach. Now, of course, there are natural ways as well that I'm not too versed on. I have tried some and it just, it was not for me. So again, like do what you got to do. And I think for sure, like if you have a friend that has anxiety and you just want to help them, sometimes it's just understanding that they're going to flop on you. Like the amount of times I've flopped on friends and I was so excited to go to an event, but then 
as soon as it happened, I'm like, oh my gosh, if I go there, is it going to be awkward? If I go there, like, what if it's not okay? Or what if someone's mad at me? And like things like that, that just have psyched me out. And, and to the point where I'm like, I'm not going. And then I would make it, make up an excuse. And this actually happened recently. Um, a friend of mine uh, from high school and I just was not comfortable because I, I haven't seen some of those people in a while. And, and that just really made me nervous. So like, it can just be onset of, of different things, but to have friends that will understand that and also to a point where you also have to understand that reassurance is not something that everyone kind of owes you, but how can you find other ways of understanding and reassuring yourself? Um, because that was a big thing. Reassurance is huge for me and I have to find ways to seek approval, not necessarily from everyone else, but how to seek my own approval, if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, like that, that's just kind of my relationship with it. And I just, I think the biggest takeaway is understanding that you need to help yourself. And romantically, like, your girl has been single, but I was always attracted to people with trauma. Like, I don't know what it was, but I was attracted to trauma. And I always felt like I could help the other person and be their safe, like, not their savior, but help them get on track and, and be there for them and be as supportive, supportive as I can. But the real fact of the matter is I cannot help someone else through their trauma. Trauma is trauma. And we need to remember that and for me i needed to also heal myself and i was not at that point so yeah anyways anxiety and me have had the longest relationship and it's a relationship that i'm going to probably have for a long time as well so if all goes wrong at least i have a long-term relationship with anxiety woo i'm kidding um but yeah thank you so much for listening i hope maybe some of this helped i hope maybe this brought up uh reflection in in your life and i hope this also opens up conversations to think that just because you are professional in whatever realm whatever job you're working it does not mean you cannot have anxiety you can work any job and still have anxiety and be freaking amazing at your job there had there's no just because you have anxiety doesn't make you less of a person at your job it does not make you incapable of your job so f the stigmas do what you got to do to heal do what you got to do to take care of yourself and uh i'll put some links in the bio thanks so much for listening and i apologize for being late on this episode but all the best to you follow on instagram at coffee time with biswas and again thank you so much anil for the new drop sounds sick i'm gonna put his soundcloud in the bio as well thank you so much for listening make sure you follow on instagram and you share this episode have a great one